It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. You're here with Fraser Scott and Kevin Honore. How are you doing, Kevin? Yeah, I'm doing okay, Fraser. Thank you. Well, today we have, well, you'd have to say a bit of a sobering subject to talk about, which is the impact of COVID-19 on our partners. Now, it may be that by the time you listen to this, you are sorely sick of hearing about COVID-19. It does tend to dominate the news cycle and... Um, you know, we're constantly hearing pretty bad news about COVID-19. Certainly as we uh, share our views today, there's no uh, imminent prospect of a vaccine. And even when it comes out, it's, it's, it's going to take a while to penetrate to the sort of places that we operate. But you know, what is quite obvious in terms of COVID-19 and indeed, you know, most of the sort of issues that strike in the places that we work is that the developing world does tend to fall out of the news pretty quickly. We hear what's going on in New Zealand, or at least here, uh, if you're listening in the US or UK. Uh, you may not even be aware there is a country called New Zealand, but there is. Uh, but the, the, the sort of challenges that hit in Pakistan and the Congo often don't make it into the news. And, and many of you will not have any sense of uh, how things are going in those places. So today we want to give a bit of an update. We want to give a sense of uh, how COVID is impacting our partners in the places that we work in 32, 33 countries uh, around the world and um, what what's good, what's not so good, uh, how they're faring and, and also how they're responding and how our partners and their churches are responding. So Kev, let's start a little bit uh, generally and maybe have a uh, a bit of a tour around the um, the major sort of regions of the world. How is COVID affecting our partners? And, and maybe we'll start in South Asia and uh, India, Pakistan. What's going on there? How, how does it look compared to other parts of the world? Yeah, well, it, these are two two countries that um, that have been badly affected. Uh, India, you know, I think it's the second after the US uh, currently in terms of number of number of uh, reported cases and of course the the uh, crucial word there is reported because you know it's hard to know how many are being tested and and how easy it is to and how verifiable the, the numbers are it was really interesting as we were just going into the whole COVID thing we we had a conference call with with some of our one of our major partners there in India and and he made the comment that in normal circumstances, only one death in five in India is reported. So that's just normal deaths, strokes, just, heart attacks. Yeah, they yeah. only know about one in five at an official level. Yeah, at an official wow. level, because so many people live outside the the formal sector of 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 the society, and so you know, people that die in villages and that they they you know in in, in those cultures and Hindu culture they they just burn them. And 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 so they never, yeah. you know, they probably didn't have a birth certificate. They certainly don't have a death certificate. Well, I remember um, walking around a corner in in Bangalore and and you know seeing a, a pyre with a body on top going up in flames. And one has to assume that's probably, given it was like a public park, is probably not an officially sanctioned uh, mm. form of exit from this world. No, and and so you know those numbers are probably on the on the very the very low side in in both India and Pakistan. So they've they've been seriously affected there, and uh, 
And and the two other countries that are are most affected, you know, that that we're involved in are South Africa, although we only have one partner there, uh, but that's you know uh, pretty serious and and has really gone ballistic in the last few months. Uh, and the other is Indonesia, and, and there's very little information coming out of there about, um, you know, about what's happening. Um, what what makes them different? Keith? I mean, is is it, you know, population density and the the kind of communal lifestyles that the people have that enables it to spread, or are there other factors that make those places worse? I'm not sure. I think I think um, there's going to be a lot of study by a lot of people in the next few, right. <laughs> few, yeah. uh, few uh, months and years as, as to the dynamics of of why and you know what happened and 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 why did it spread here and not here. Um, um, but I mean, proximity and density of population has to be has to be one of the issues that's at least explored, but a, a major component of that. Well, one as well is tell us about um, you know what happened in, in India in terms of sending people back to their uh, yeah. you know, sort of home villages. That was something that made it onto the news, albeit briefly. How did that work, and, and you know, is that potentially part of the impact? Well, as, you know, as we're speaking, you know, just last just in the last few days, World Health Organization have actually come up with a. Uh, a comment that's saying you know, that, that lockdown is probably not the most appropriate thing in every circumstance or in every place, and and for many of our people, you know, the restrictions have been far more devastating on their lifestyle than perhaps even the virus may have been. Um, and so, for example, you know, in, in India, you know, the the news came out from WHO. Everybody's got to you know um, socially isolate and. Uh, and social distance and you know, all of this kind of stuff. You, you can't do that in India. How do you do that in India? And, and so, you know, everybody had to go back to their their villages. And we, we saw these, 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 you know, videos of of tens of thousands of people, you know, daily workers having to travel thousands of kilometres in some cases, hundreds of kilometres in most cases from where they were working to where they were originally from. And... And and all you did there was shift the 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 location of, of where the where the uh, the virus was going to move. What was the thinking behind it? What were they trying to achieve? I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't have any idea how the WHO <laughs> thinks, to be quite frankly. But yeah, the one size fits all idea is just totally inappropriate. You know, it ain't that simple, mate. And any one-off, you know, words to live by. <laughs> any magic bullet that's going to going to solve the situation for a place like India and South Africa and Brazil and New Zealand. I mean, that's just ridiculous, you know. And and I think hopefully one of the learnings from all of this is, you know, we have to have a much more uh, considered. Uh, nuanced approach. Nuanced approach to to how to how to deal with these these kinds of issues. Um, I know, I know, Kev. When you know all of this really started to kick off, uh, we and and many others were looking at Africa and you know the the number of ventilators that were present in some of the places that we operate. You know, 
oh, one, one, for, one for 10 million people. And well, it's it, even worse than that. I think there were five in the whole country of DRC, you know, Congo. And the population is? <laughs> oh, 80 million. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are not good numbers. And and so, uh, you know, we were pretty concerned about that. Yet it does seem, you know, South Africa notwithstanding, it does seem that perhaps the impact has not been as bad as we thought? Or again, is this just people are dying, people die there often, and it's not being reported? What, you know, how do you cut through that? What's the reality? Yeah, it's, it, it is one of the issues. You know, it needs to be uh, sort of some research done on that, I think, you know, because it's obvious that, that it hasn't affected Africa as much as, as, um, as, as some of the more developed countries, it's it's a really kind of it's an anomaly almost, not what you'd expect. Um, I've I've heard a couple of theories, and I want to run these by you. Um, you'll be pleased to know that none of the theories have anything to do with five G internet. <laughs> oh, that is that is not one of the theories. Uh, but I, I know you know Thailand is a country, and Vietnam both actually countries that uh, have fared pretty well. And I know some of the Thais are of the view that um, it's the heat that this thing doesn't like the heat. Uh, another view that I think is actually gaining a bit of mainstream support is that vitamin D, you know, people who are out in the sun and, and it's actually vitamin D that's fighting this. Have you come across either of these theories? Do they hold any water? Oh, man, I'm just a local kind of guy that doesn't have any <laughs> idea about these things, Fraser, you know. I, I, I Am I blinding you with science? Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I just believe any kind of theory that comes around. I, I I certainly hope it's not vitamin D because I am just about as pale as it comes. <laughs> so yeah, you do need I'm to in get trouble. Out. You do yeah. need to get out, Fraser. You're you're a, you're a, you're yeah. a, mm. a sitting target for this. Uh, I don't know. It's it's there's there's far too much kind of stuff swirling around to be able to nail it. I think there's a number of factors. I, I think two that are particularly related to Africa is one and one is a, a, quite a few of the countries went off quite quickly in terms of lock, locking down or closing their borders, first of all. Um, uh, the second one is that, you know, the, a lot of places in Africa, people aren't travelling. I mean, there are, there are travellers, obviously, but, but not so much international travellers. I mean, we're still, you know, in New Zealand, uh, nearly all the cases are people that are coming in from, from other parts of the world. Well, that's not happening in a lot of these countries. Uh, they just stop the border. If you're stuck outside, well, too bad. Um, I mean, we had friends from Ghana who were here in New Zealand at the time of the lockdown, and they had to stay in New Zealand for six months. Um, oh, wow. Uh, because, just because the border was closed. Nobody could come in, so, so that happened. The other thing in Africa is that uh, the population is relatively young compared to most others, and I think that's a factor, a major factor in all this. Mm. Um, in in that they may get the virus, they may spread the virus, but they don't suffer the uh, they don't get the serious symptoms like older people do. And if and if you compare, say, Spain or Italy. You know, with uh, you know, what's the average age in those countries? I mean, I haven't done the research. That's on that, a really but... good point. And I haven't come across that because you, you know, I remember reading a statistic going back a few years about the proportion of um, you know people in Africa that were under twenty. And it's, it's it's massive. And it's well, certainly... I think Zambia, mm. like it's fifty percent of the population is under fifteen years mm. of age. Yeah. So, so you know, those people aren't travelling. They're not moving about. They uh, and they've got natural resilience because of their youth and so I think that's a, a major one in these countries so that would it would be interesting to see you know once some research is done by the impact of that kind of thing so obviously there there is you know a positive aspect to this that the the direct health impact 
has perhaps not been as grave as we might have imagined. But let's let's move from that because you know what we've seen is that the impact has been less uh, a health-based one and more an economic one. Oh yeah. And what what does that look like? Yeah, and the restrictions that have been placed, you know, in, in, on as a response to COVID have been far more difficult to deal with than the actual virus itself. Um, um, but in terms of, of what that actually you know looks like, is we're discovering that because you know all in in, in virtually every country um, public events you know weren't allowed that that virtually every micro loan program has flopped um, because you know most of those that were involved in in doing micro loans um, had small businesses in marketplaces um, and have a little kiosk or a little stall there um, you know with a loan of around 100 bucks or something like that with some product on it well they they've they just couldn't do their trading. They couldn't do their business. Um, they've had to shut up shop, and you know, then they've had to survive. So they've they've used up all their capital. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, th- this is something that we've talked about as a leadership team within Bright World. Is is at some point once, and I hate using this phrase; it seems overused. But once the dust settles, at some point we're going to have to look at these microloans programs that we have invested mm. tens of thousands of dollars into. And there is that sense that you know, look, a lot of this will, a lot of that capital would have been used to enable people just to survive. Which, um, you know, I think it'd be fair to say we're okay with that. That's, oh, that's hey, a good use of it. It's better that they're alive than not. <laughs> but in terms of our value of of pursuing self sustainability, there is a sense in which we are going to have to start again somewhat. Start again, yeah, and and that's okay because I mean, you know, a, a lot of these. A lot of these these micro loan programs have been going for a relatively short period of time. If if you put it into the context of changing mindsets of people moving out of poverty over a period of you know years, not just months, uh, so a lot of them are, are are still fairly on in those in that process. And so, you know, we'll just have to get back in there and and do what we can to help again. One of the really interesting things is, is that you know a lot of the people that have been in the longer term microloan programs are still doing okay. Um, um, we just never heard from a lot of them. They just is, is that because they've well. sort of retained earnings and built some re- resilience? Yeah, you know, and they, they can and they're, they're large enough to be mm. able to diversify it a bit or or to have a little bit of savings. Um, you know, some of our loan programs have a savings component in them for, for emergencies and disasters, so they've, they've had to draw down on that stuff. Um, and some of them... Yeah, they've just got big enough to be able to survive, um, or they're in an area, a sector that, that that hasn't been quite so badly hit. So, but you know, the majority of of um, of our partners involved in microloans, and and the you know probably the bulk of the money that we've put in are in these small scale ones that are seriously affected, and uh, we'll have to reboot them. But you know, the the good thing about that, from our point of view, is that. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much, you know, all all surviving as 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 individuals, and our donors are still giving, and so we're able to to come back in again. We 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 can't just yet; it's a bit early. Um, you know, some countries are only just starting to 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 be able to open up again and and get going. Um, but over the next few months, I imagine we'll be we'll be reinvesting in a lot of those. It it does give. The opportunity to pause and just 
you know, analyze is this the best structure for what's 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 what they you know is what they were doing the best way to, to carry on? Do we need to tweak it or do they need to think about it? Uh, well, let, I mean, some other aspects of let's that. talk timeframes on that because you know you're a bit of an optimist. Um, I am really accused of being an optimist. So how long is this going to take? You know, we're not going to want to probably reinvest in those loans program, loan programs until there is a little bit of stability, a little mm. bit of normality back. Um, and, you know, given that this will be uh, recorded and put online and available for the, the rest of time, uh, take a risk, Kev. When, when might that be? When might we see the world start to get back to normal, normality? What do you, what do you expect? <laughs> We've got a sweepstake going. We do have office, a sweepstake, we, Fraser. As to when <laughs> when the first Bright Hope World uh, facilitators will start travelling again? It's not entirely the same question, but um, although, and it's worth noting that the very latest date is the one I picked, <laughs> which is like nine twenty twenty seven or something. Oh, like that. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that bad, but it's in the ballpark. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard to know. You know, different countries. It's not all going to be like all of Africa is, is going to do it at the same time. It's going. There's going to be. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be trickled out and, and different places, different times. So, um, I don't know. I think by early next early next year, you know, around January, February twenty twenty one, there will be some stuff happening. Um, Things will start beginning back to normal. There's a little. I mean, obviously, there's there's still quite a bit of I would say informal activity going on. I mean, people have to live, so stuff is still going on in these places. People are buying and selling and trading and um, you know swapping food and all that kind of stuff. So so there's stuff already going on. But but my guess is that early 2021 we'll we'll start seeing some responses from our partners as to what they think. You know the next the next steps might be, mm. and as you know, as you referred to in that sweepstake, is to when our team will travel again. I mean, that, that's been one of the, um, the the slightly unsettling aspects uh, of this whole thing from our perspective. Is mm-hmm. most of our team uh, of partnership facilitators that look after different parts of the world are used to most years uh, going out and visiting the partners, spending time with them, yep. you know, working through budgets and all that sort of thing. But you know, I think critically being an encouragement to them and supporting them and listening to them when often, you know, these people are pretty isolated um, and, and don't get a lot of local support. Would it be fair to say for Bright World, that's, that's been one of the, the parts of all this that's, that's stung at a relational level? Oh, very much so. I mean, my wife, Helen, she, she, she's kind of like, can't wait to get out there, not not because of the travel, but because you know you just miss these people. You know, they have such a positive influence on your life, yeah. and and, um, and I mean that's it's a selfish kind of thing. But there's a lot of mutuality in that too. To be able to just sit down and and you know listen to their story and their the issues that they've faced and the pressures that they're under, and to be able to carry some of that burden off from from them is is a you know a big part of it because you know the, the stress these guys are under is just immense. I mean, some people in the West would understand it because they, you know, they they carry other people's burdens. But but you imagine you're the pastor of a church, you know, and and nobody in your church is working now. 
not one person is able to. They're all struggling to even, you know, live from day to day. And as the pastor, it all comes back into your into your lounge across your across your problems. Your, kind of solve it. Their problems are all you know are your problems. Uh, that's the way it's it's structured. And so a lot of them are are under severe pressure. The, the you know the key people in these, in well, that, these roles. That's a good point. You know, and there is some uh, relationship or some connection between what COVID is like for us here. And for for them out there, you know, the the isolation, look, that's a universal human thing. And I think in the same way that, um, you know, many people here have suffered from Zoom fatigue or Teams fatigue <laughs> or Skype fatigue. Third you world know, problem. I th- yeah, exactly. I, I think the the challenges of trying to communicate with our partner via WhatsApp and email, it's, it's, a, it's a poor substitute for the real thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, our lives were probably fairly normal and stable and and you know this has been a a pretty heavy thing to have to deal with in the midst of it but you know if we jump to a, co- a country like the DRC like Congo and and look at the the context in which covid hits i mean what, what, picking a place like that because i you know i know it's dealing with some other issues what does covid do in a place that is already pretty devastated you know what, what are they dealing with and and how has this impacted them you know and, and there's a sense in which covid is just one of a series of issues. It's not the big only issue that they're facing. Like, you know, we hear it all the time here. It's just bombards us from every direction. For them over there, all the other stuff that were issues are still there. Some of them magnified by COVID, but but you know, there's, there's still militias storming around the area, fighting each other and killing and rampaging through villages and. Uh, you know that's still happening. They're still afraid of Ebola. Um, uh, yes, that, now there has been an Ebola outbreak. There hasn't there in the in the midst of this. Ah, uh, well, it was kind of, the the most recent one was di- had kind of died off. Was well, okay. probably not the right term to use in this in this no, context. No, but no, it is had, not. <laughs> was had kind of petered out by the time that 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 COVID came in. So they were actually quite well geared up to respond to COVID because they had just come through the Ebola thing, especially in East in Eastern Congo. But, you know, all the other stuff that was going on or, or that does go on in, in these countries, that, that's all there still. And then this is just another thing. Um, and, and so um, it's serious, but but they're used to dealing with this stuff. They're, you know, they're, they're experts at dealing with crisis uh, their whole lives. Their whole life is crisis. Uh, every day is a crisis, and here's just another one. Uh, so, and they're very resilient people. Um, but at the same time, it just hits them. You know, they, they, it is another issue. So you, you know, you've got Ebola going on in the area. You've you've got militias going around burning the you know the truck that was bringing all your produce to the stall that you were going to sell in the market and now they've closed it's the a market. real story it's by a the real way. story yeah, yeah. and yeah. and uh, and now they've closed the market down so you can't even sell the product that was burned on the side of the road by them you know it's just like bang 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 they get, just get hit time and time again and um so yeah it's 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 real tough um well look let, let's take a break there kevin when we come back i think it'd be worth Spending a bit of time, you know, maybe turning the tables a little bit and talk about some of the amazing things our partners are doing, uh, but also in the midst of all of this um, tragedy and crisis, some of the positive, some of the bright lights 
uh, in amongst it. So we're going to take a little break and we will be uh, right back on It Ain't That Simple Mate. It Ain't That Simple Mate is brought to you by Lamai Coffee. Lamai Coffee is the finest quality organic Arabica coffee from the northern hills of Thailand. We at Bright Hope World import the green beans into New Zealand and we roast them to perfection, then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers. We're all volunteers on the team, so all the profits go back into great community projects in Thailand. And that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness. You can order Lamai coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz. It ain't that simple, mate. Welcome back. You are listening to It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast with Kevin Honore and Fraser Scott. And when we left you, we were talking talking about uh, how COVID is affecting our partners and some of the things that we're seeing. Now, Kev, one of the things that we uh, didn't mention, but it's been a topic of some conversation uh, here, and, and before we get on to how our partners are responding, um, one of the big things that we're seeing hit quite hard is schools. Now, we, we have... Uh, something like eight or nine um, substantial schools that we support, um, and you know that, that's a way to uh, educate people. That gives them uh, real opportunities for the future. But when schools are shut down, they can't work. They don't get fees. What does that look like? How how are they coping? Well, not well. <laughs> I mean, it's been real tough on them because um, they are private schools, and as you say, they they rely on on school fees um, to. Uh, to pay the teachers first of all that's the big the big expense most of these have um yeah so they've they've really struggled the other thing that's happened of course is that they constantly face compliance costs from from the government um, in the normal course of events but with covid now and starting to you know open up again they now have a whole lot of uh, COVID compliance costs that they have to implement. So there's so masks and hand sanitizers and, and social distancing, distancing yeah. you know, more desks in a, in a classroom because they can't have two kids sitting in one desk and just a whole bunch of extra cost involved in, in reopening. So they're, yeah, we're still kind of finding the, uh, you know, what that looks like. But, you know, some of those schools, I think, aren't going to make it. I think that's that's the bottom line. It's it's pretty harsh, but but at the end of the day, you can't just keep pouring money in if, if it's if it's uh, um, not a viable operation because they have to be self sustaining. I mean, at the end of the day, they have to be able to to sustain themselves. Some of them will do it, others others won't. Do you see that you know with that sort of thing being hit? You know, we talked about the microloans, we talked about schools. Some of these things are not going to survive this yeah is, is i mean is this is the impact of COVID in some of these places you know are we talking something that's going to last a generation mm. you know things that are going to take a really long time to rebuild i saw a statistic the other day fraser uh COVID has caused 100 million people in the world to become poorest of the poor wow so yes, it's it's uh, so there's another 100 million people within the last six months entered that space. So yeah, there's a lot of challenges around that, and and some of that you know, well all of those hundred million people are people who weren't poorest of the poor, so they've dropped down into this space and and uh, 
uh, or could pay fees, but now can't pay fees. Um, and, and that's you know what we're hearing from a number of our uh, our, our school partners, partners that have schools that you know they they had 150 kids in the school. Um, you know, 120 of them could pay fees before, but now only 60 can. Uh, well, the school's not viable anymore. So what do you do? Plus, you know, other people in the community are coming to them because they can't afford to send their kids to government schools. And so, will you take our kids here because we know that you're Christians and you're charitable and all that sort of thing? And so, what do they do? Do they just say no? Um, do we say no? A lot of questions to be grappled with in that because, you know. So, what I mean, what are they doing? You know, we, we said before the break that we were going to turn this a little bit more. Uh positive i mean it's it's pretty easy to get pretty down when you you look at, at how this is impacting the world and you know the prospects of it but let, let's let's zoom out a little bit and talk about some of the ways our partners are responding and we talked about uh, in a previous podcast what we you know we've seen in india which is just phenomenal where um you know a, a group there, community there is is making what would it be say twenty thousand masks for for a local community that has persecuted it for for some time, but they're they're rising above that. What else are we seeing? What what are some of the ways you know around the world and just just pick places at random that we're seeing our partners respond? How are they acting? Yeah, that's that's uh, it's been really interesting and, and and really encouraging. The the general kind of message we get back is that this has created more opportunities for the good news than they ever had before because you know as you said pe- people that were once anti are now asking for help and so that's that's good the other thing it's done is it's it's brought the the church members together to to be you know it's kind of activated a lot of them because they've all of a sudden started to see the need around them where where they didn't quite observe it before lifted their focus up and out uh, and that's a challenge for us here that, that, that we're able to do the same thing um, I remember hearing one one story from from one of our partners as they they uh, they just saw this is in India all these people walking home from you know hundreds of kilometers and and they were walking past their front front gate and they felt like they they just had to do something and so so they started helping people and they've ended up helping like 4000 families now but it's it's basically ripped all their resources out they've got nothing left um, and it was costing them like something like 50,000 US dollars a month to do this wow uh, that they didn't have and so but they decided they were going to do it anyway and so they've carried on. At, at the stage when we were talking to them, that it was only like two and a half thousand families. Now it's 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 four thousand families, and uh, it'd be interesting. We're going to have a have a Zoom call with them next Monday, and uh, and have a catch up on that. But yeah, so it's uh, it's been pretty heartening to see the the response of our of our partners as they've you know responded to what's going on around them. It's just coming back to the education thing. I think one of the things it's shown is the the difficulty of sustaining, you know, a formal school type structure in in a, a situation like this, in a circumstance like this. It's it's uh, you know put a lot of pressures on there. But but where there's a lot of informal education going on, these ones have 
in a a sense, flourished. So we've got a number of of partners, for example, that that run tutoring programs. So they don't have a, a formal school, but they tutor the kids that go to school. You know, they have an hour a day with them either before school or after school. Uh, those kids are flourishing, and and it's created really good opportunities to, to to go into the families of those kids that they are working with, and and help and understand and and know what's what the issues are. Um, and so and so, you know, that that type of informal involvement has has been really really helpful. The other thing that's that's really emerged is the where where people have be, have learned uh, to become self-sustaining agriculturally so the foundations for farming programs where 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 those have been strong strongly taken on board and and they're working you know and they're not working in every place uh, for various reasons um but where they were working those people have been very been able to be very resilient in this they've been able to eat uh, continue to get an income uh, been able to produce enough to help other people i mean that that's that's really shown up in stark relief mm. i think yeah and, and look if, if you haven't um listened to our podcast which uh, should be available on foundations for farming i really recommend you that you do that but uh if you're not familiar with it this is sort of a basic uh, farming teaching method that we've uh, used and propagated and many of our partners have propagated around uh, the world uh, i think what's really stood out for me in in that space is how um, you know enabling people at an individual family level to provide for themselves to to feed themselves boy how that has paid off I mean Mm. I think that's been one of the the real saviors in in the space is that no matter what is happening in an economy in a in a in a market something like this hits you know those that have been able to continue to provide for themselves that's been a real bright light hasn't it oh totally and and it's been really interesting because you know very few of our partners have actually been under severe pressure um and by that i mean themselves personally a lot of the people they work with have been under you know extreme pressure and have come to them but 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 all of our partners i can't think of one that's well maybe one that was trapped in another country at the time when the lockdown mm, came yeah. but apart from from him you know there's been very little major personal disruption to their families because most of them are self-sustaining and and, and self-reliant in terms of their e- economics and uh and, and you know in some cases we've been able to carry on support but if, if we're doing that but in very few cases we are so yeah that's been a real a real kind of positive that's come out of it that, that this whole issue of, of, of self-sustainability has is, is, is worked in this in this case um, in an extreme in a sort of circumstance that kind of reliance on agriculture and, and you know I think even in New Zealand where you know farmers were getting a little beat up for their um, environmental impact all of a sudden people are starting to look at agriculture and say yeah maybe maybe we we misjudge that maybe um, agriculture is quite useful because you see the you know the globalism and the economic trade and all of that sort of thing suddenly gets massively disrupted. Being self-sustaining at a national or, or even at a family level, that starts to look pretty good. You know, it's interesting in New Zealand. You know, I was involved in the agriculture and horticulture sector back in the day, and uh, 
and we produce 10 times more food than we can eat here, which is quite an advantage. <laughs> really? 10 times? Yeah. More than, yeah, well, in some, in some of the some, uh, aspects, like fruit production, that's way more than 10 times more than we could ever eat here. Uh, so people have to eat. It's, it's a bit difficult if you're a mining economy and you <laughs> Bit hard to eat iron ore or something, but yeah, but but yeah. So there's real, there's a real strength in in having that undergirding of agricultural self reliance, and uh, and that's showing up in our in our partners as well. Um, so give us, you know, the Bright Hope World value is around self sustainability. As we have, you know, pursued in, in parallel both microlines programs and agriculture, those have been two key initiatives, um, and seeing one thrive and one suffer. When this is all over, and and we we hope and pray it will be before too long, does it alter how Bright Hope World engages with our partners? Does it does this change anything? I, I think it I think it probably does. I mean, we need to have some discussion around this, but it's almost like unless there is the potential for a partnership to be fully self sustaining at some stage in the future, it's not going to be in, in year one. Unless that's embedded in the structure of a, of a project and a partnership, then, then we probably don't want to get involved in it. They they need to work to a point where that's that's just you know there, um, and that and that might might mean that some potential partners we would say no to. It might mean that we have to have slightly more dialogue with them to build some of that into the framework of of the project. Yeah, so so yes, I think it, it probably will. Uh, you know, coming at it from a field end point of view, it's it's been really interesting that in the last probably year we've been having a lot of discussions with a number of our partners about this whole issue, and and you know, I think of two particularly based in in Africa where where key people that were being supported from outside are all moving towards local local initiatives to to become self-reliant um economically so so we you know there's a sense in which we'd already started on this journey um with a number of of our partners already uh, but this is i think just going to fast track the need for that and uh, the urgency of it yeah so i think yeah it will change us let's go back to the the places where our partners are working at the moment and, and you know with COVID with the threat of premature death and, and you know, being confronted with one's mortality. Certainly some in the, in the West are starting to ask some bigger questions uh, about life. You know, I think um, it's, it's easy to dull oneself to the reality of the brevity of life. But COVID has, has you know, forced some people to grapple with that. That always, you know, creates a context in which you can see a, a, a spiritual response in which the church can give a, a message of, of hope into that space. Are we seeing that out there? Are we seeing you know people in some of the places that we work really starting to ask some of the bigger questions about life and and um, you know seek out connect with our partners? Is is there the the spiritual response we might hope for in such a crisis as this? Uh, yes, there is. Although you've got to remember that these people are poor already, mm. you know. So so there was already a much higher chance of them. You know, asking for help, wanting to know what what the issues. I think you know one of the real challenges for the West, where especially where where this is going off. You know, places like Europe and 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 America, the US, where where people have uh, you know at the extreme end of of 
not needing God or, or, or be, being aware that, that they do, I think there's some greater challenges there. I think there could be some significant opportunities if the church is willing to get their, their head out of the sand and see what those might look like. But a number of our partners have come back and said, you know, They've noticed an upturn in, in, in interest, and certainly there's been, a, a, as you mentioned before, a lot, a lot of change in terms of the way their community looks at them. So they're coming to them, asking them for help. You know, the the levels of persecution have gone down because they've they've now been able to uh, to break through the the mindset that they're they know they're a foreign kind of religion or something like that, but. So they're seen as genuine players in, in the community and, and they can help and contribute. Uh, yeah, so, so they're, all, they're all pretty much saying this has created opportunities for them. And at the other end of the, the spectrum, you know, one of the things that often happens when you have these sort of crises is nefarious actors take advantage of the distraction and, um, you know, do things that are perhaps not desirable, and I mean that at a governmental level. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we have seen in India is, is the government moving to um, make it a lot more difficult to support ministries and to to help at a local level. I mean, to the point now where, you know, we're really thinking, how on earth are we going to get money into to India? It's become a lot more difficult. Have we seen that anywhere else where... Governments are are making moves to you know tighten up in the sort of things that we do. Uh, I, to, I mean, I'm not aware of, of of too many like that. I mean, there I mean, the biggest pressure that most of our partners face because most of them are are operating at a grassroots level is is local stuff. It's 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 the local issues they face. You know, one guy who's again them who who just makes life as difficult as possible uneducated masses that that you know react to stuff that's happening without really thinking about it um so it's it's local pressure that most of our our guys face but that that india one is a, is a serious concern frankly um just this last week uh, they've tightened up further and uh, that's just another step in a process that's been going on for a while and, and won't stop for a while either. And for those who aren't aware of the broader context in India, what is driving that? Where does that where does that come from? Well, the the, the government has a has a an agenda, you know, a stated agenda that that India will be a Hindu nation, and they're wanting to change the name of the country to be, you know, the the Hindu the Hindu uh, Republic of India or whatever. Um, and are making life very difficult for minority groups, um, which you know particularly affects the Muslims in India, and and they're a huge population there, over two hundred million of them in India, but this has also affects the Christian population there as well, and and um, and of course many of the the poorest of the poor in India are, are the Christians, mm. and, and so they get hit in a double. In a double way, is that the, you know the the uh, their ability to connect with people outside uh, the the global Christian community is is severely uh, limited. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I hate to say this, but it may be a good thing for them in the long term that there's less money going in from outside because see what happened in China. Yeah, you know, and it, it may be that. That what's been planted there, you know, in God's economy, in God's thinking, is enough for it to be able to just 
go and flourish on its own. And so we have to be aware of that sort of stuff as well and, and, not, and not, yeah, just get too concerned about it. We do what we can. So let's, let's just to wrap up, um, let's look forward, you know, over the next couple of years. How is, how is COVID likely to, to, you know, impact our partners? What are we going to need to do to, um, you know, to work with them and try and impact them? You know, what, what does the next couple of years look like now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it gives us opportunity to pause and reevaluate some of some of the, the things we're doing, and uh, and we'll we'll be doing that, and well, we are doing that. Um, there'll be a bit more relief required in some some cases. I mean, that's already started. We you know we we did an appeal uh, early on in this, and uh, people have responded really generously, um, and we've been able to to help a lot of our partners ride through. Uh, to you know, mitigate the 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 damage for them and and their people mainly um, uh, to some degree. So that's going to have to carry on for a while. Yeah. So there'll be some sort of stopgap stuff going on that that we wouldn't have normally done. And you know, from our point of view, we're a pretty small organisation, so it's not like we have vast resources to to be able to to sort of fling out there and distribute. But uh, and the needs are big, and and they'll, they'll keep growing. You know, the impact of COVID will go on for for a number of years. So we will just have to adjust and figure yeah, it out. Adjust. I think one of the things, and I'm noticing this in my role as the as like new partnership um, developer or facilitator, is that I think it's going to do two things. One is it's it's going to create more projects coming out of existing partners because new needs new needs have emerged in their community and, and and projects that are already underway may have to go on a bit longer and new initiatives will come up as well as 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 you know time goes along and and I think already you know it's, because we can't travel so much it's going to mean that we're not going to have new partners coming into the mix as 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 quickly as we have in It'll the take past, take longer to develop those new relationships. Won't yeah, it? Well, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, if we, if we can't travel again for another another year, I mean, there's you know, almost a two year kind of hiatus in there that, that we haven't been able to do stuff, and and I've just um, been going through all of, all of our partnerships, uh, you know, new partnership opportunities, and and a year ago we had something like forty on the books, and now it's down less than twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at what what we what I'm working on at the moment. And there's less than I think it's about nineteen or twenty of them, but but twelve or thirteen of those are from existing partnerships. So it means we've only got six or seven maximum brand you know, new partners, brand new partners mm-hmm. coming on stream. So that so that's going to make a little bit of a, uh, a difference for us as we as we go forward and maybe in a, maybe end up being a, a major you know kind of re uh, reorientation or or, or or direction in, in terms of the development of new partnerships. Um, well, certainly, if, if you are uh, listening to this and you're a person of prayer, hopefully there's enough uh, in there to prompt you to pray for uh, us as we figure all this out and, and for our partners. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the points, um, Kev, I think, is is that, you know, while for us, COVID has been a massive disruption, a massive, you know, shattering of, of our lifestyle and our sense of stability and normality. But would it be fair to say that for a lot of the people that we work with, it, like I say, it's another thing that life mm. already is unstable and mm. uncertain, and it's yeah. another 
variable that perhaps shatters their confidence a little less than ours um, and you know perhaps where we feel it more keenly because we're not as resilient they you know take a deep breath and and it's an, it's another thing to deal with perhaps it's less oh very much and you know the whole lack of resilience in in the western mindset is is, is one of the most glaringly obvious things that I think covid has is shown up um, and uh, and the the amount of resilience that our partners have is, is also being shown up as, as you compare or contrast the two. And and they'll get on with life. They'll make things happen. They, they were doing that anyway. And as you say, this is just one of a number of things they have to they have to cope with. Um, it's a big one, but it's just they've got other big ones as well. So well, it's, it certainly speaks to the quality of our partners that they can. You know they can take this on board with everything else they have to face. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely, Ebola and wars and and all the rest of it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, that's um, that's a bit of an assessment on COVID. Uh, let's hope that uh, next year we don't have to refresh this. Let's hope that uh, <laughs> it uh, you know the world does move on. That that uh, the vaccines that have been developed are successful and. And uh, that we're in the West are generous, generous enough to support these vaccines being available for everyone, not just we who have money in our pockets. Yeah. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, queries, disagreements, anything like that, please do email them to us at podcast at brighthopeworld.com or you can go straight on our Facebook page. Um, it's facebook.com forward slash brighthopeworld and uh, leave comments. Uh, we love to, to get those and, and hear back from you. Um, if you are interested in giving towards um, Bright Hope World and, and helping us uh, address COVID, you can do that on our website, brighthopeworld.com. Uh, but until next time, I have been Fraser Scott here with Kevin Honore. And uh, this has been It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye, Kev. See you later.